iShares and S&P Dow Jones indices are proud to support the Wealth Management Edge podcast and financial advisors. With more than 1,250 products worldwide, iShares is dedicated to empowering millions of people to make their money work for them. Visit www.ishares.com to learn more. S&P Dow Jones Indices is the largest global resource for essential index-based concepts, data and research, and home to iconic financial market indicators such as the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. iShares and S&P Dow Jones Indices are unaffiliated entities. Hello, my name is Navia Jenkins-Johnston. I am the senior conference producer for wealthmanagement.com events like Inside ETFs, Retirement Income Edge, Wealth Stack, and I am pleased to host the Wealth Management Edge Visionaries podcast. We get a chance here to speak to the subject matter experts who make our conference unforgettable. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Tucson. It is wonderful to have you join us on the Wealth Management Edge Visionaries podcast. I have been so excited for this conversation. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. And there is no way you've been more excited than me. (laughs) There's no way. (laughs) I absolutely love this. And I'd be remiss not to do a quick introduction, although I think there are a few people who don't know who you are. Tucson Bailey is a visionary in our space, obviously, and so well-fitted for the Visionaries Edge podcast, but he is also founder and CEO of Uplifting Capital. He has decades of experience really changing the landscape of financial advice and steering investors, advisors, clients of all kinds into the right decisions as it relates to investments. Uh, So we're really excited to have you, Tucson. And um, something people may not know about you as well that connected us is Tucson also practiced law for, uh, you know, before he started his finance career. So he has a he has a Juris Doctor from UCLA. And we also connect on my past um, media experience at law.com. So this is coming home, right? This is yeah, absolutely in so many ways, <laughs> in so many ways. Um, so Tucson, oh, we featured you at wealthmanagement.com in 2022 on 10 to watch in 2023, right? At the Mm -hmm. end of November. And it's not the first list I'd seen your name on, right? It's not the first, we're not the first publication who has talked about how influential you are and how, how much you're, you're changing things. So I want to kind of start there. Will you tell us a little bit about why you are on so many lists? Oh my goodness. Probably because I I can't make up my mind about what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> that's, that's that's the start. You're like, wait, wait, what is he? First of all. Um <laughs> no, I I um I started, I came into this and like you said, I I I'm a lawyer for decade plus and actually loved uh, practicing law. I did litigation. Uh, but I came into this industry to do something different and to and to grow something different. Um and initially that was about how firms uh, uh, serve advisors, and by extension, how advisors serve clients. 
And so the, the mission of the first firm that I came into, uh, Enzo Wealth Management, which uh, more recently was acquired by Corio, was translating wealth into fulfillment. Um, and so I came into that firm. I think my, my official title to start out with was Chief Strategy Officer. Uh, I, I don't know what I was strategizing on other than <laughs> my, my idea was, look, I'm, I'm this junior partner at a law firm right now. I have all these ideas about how equity should be shared to incentivize the best things for young growing professionals. And nobody wants to hear me as this little third year partner with this very established firm. And so I had this uh, group of advisors who were thinking about coming together, who were actually listening to my ideas and nodding. Um, and so we, we, we came together in a different way. We talked about th this abundance mindset for, for growing a larger enterprise and how to build a firm and um, how translating wealth into fulfillment for clients required translating wealth management into fulfillment for advisors. Like you needed a whale to pull from as an advisor to, to truly create something more fulfilling for clients. And so that resonated. We were under a hundred million when, when I started with my brother-in-law, Jim Dakota, thinking about that firm. We ultimately uh, sold at close to 2 billion. I think we we're at 1.8 or 1.9 uh, based on the day. And that was all around just creating um, this more meaningful uh, experience of, of practicing wealth management and getting uh, beyond the, the typical conversation into things like loving and trusting relationships and self-actualization and what does collective impact as a firm look like and what, what does it look like if if we require that our personal gain as individuals be held with gratitude and so all of that like came in to be different and I think that's originally um, the, like it's weird enough and different enough in this industry that 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 conversation resonated with some people and it, and it stood out to some people. So originally it was uh, as a firm leader. Um, and then, you know, I, I mentioned collective impact um, that evolved into me wanting to figure out what my own impact was. And a lot of this was around 2020 when I feel like all of us were sitting at home and more introspective than ever. Um, and for me, particularly around some of the social and environmental uh, uh, changes uh, in, in our world, not just our country, um, I started to examine what my potential influence was and what levers I had to pull to make things a little bit better. Um, and so I started leading a series of conversations about how we could talk better across differences as, as professionals in wealth management. Um, I started to record those conversations and we got um, speaking coaches and listening coaches involved, just how to model a healthy conversation. And for me, I, and so I took a sabbatical and started to focus on that for full time, just this impact that I wanted to have. And it's where I wanted to live. So it became clear that I couldn't go back to um, being a traditional wealth management CEO um, and kind of moonlighting at this. And so I started to examine how to help uh, create impact at scale in our industry. And I can, uh, I, yeah, I'll, I'll slow down there because I, I, I arrived at the conclusion that has sort of created uplifting capital. Well, you can't stop there. You have to tell us <laughs> this conclusion. <laughs> okay. No cliffhangers. No, no, no cliffhangers on no my podcast. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Diving okay. right in Tucson. Well, well, so, so, uh, like everything to me. So I, I I'm like endlessly addicted. My, my wife will tell you endlessly addicted to business books and personal development books. And so to me, there's always a business solution that I want to find to, to any problem, whether that's a social problem, environmental problem. And so I saw these two trends. Like I thought the most additive thing I could do is fill a gap in wealth management. Um, and so two trends I saw that were happening was this rush to some form of sustainable investment by some clients. Um, and I know we often talk about, you know, younger clients are going to want, you know, uh, more values aligned investments, but it's not only been younger clients. It's also 
families where those younger clients are becoming increasingly influential. And so, and, and you know, there, there are other like groups of clients who just care about this. And so I saw that, felt that pressure from clients. The proxy for solving that for in a lot of places and for a long time was just ESG investments. And, and really it's ESG labeled investments, right? Like slap right. ESG label on something and let's capture uh, the, this new burgeoning demand. Um, so that was uh, less than satisfying for me, but I saw that that as a need. Um, and then at the same time, you have this transition from the 60-40 portfolio, this well-documented now transition and, and, and announced death of the 60-40 <laughs> to something that, right? Like, I mean, if I hear one more, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do, but this announcement that that's happening and there's this transition to the private markets and that, and that movement is real. And so I saw those two things happening and I did not see the convergence of those trends in wealth management but those trends are converging up market. And I have a belief that like what goes on up market must come down. And so up market, you had institutional investors, foundations, endowments, pensions, sovereign wealth, starting to look at what it looks like to do mission aligned private market investing uh, yes. without concession, right? So yes. things like affordable housing and energy infrastructure and you know venture, climate focused venture and all these other things. So that's happening up market that then starts to come down to the single family office Mm -hmm. So families are starting to want to do mission aligned investing and realizing it doesn't have to be concessionary, but there wasn't really a solution to do that at scale in wealth management. Mm -hmm. um, and I know, you know, if the advisors at my firm had that solution, they certainly would have been implementing that solution um, at a time when their clients were clamoring for it. Their clients, by the way, like, so we were high net worth to ultra high net worth firm, but we, at the very least we have clients with friends at single family offices. You know, we were like, everyone calls themselves a multifamily office at this upper echelon of private wealth. We were just high net worth private wealth, but family offices, multifamily offices, private wealth all needed this solution. And so I started to build backwards from what was getting in the way. Um, and first thinking about it as a portfolio solution, what did the composition of those investments need to be to create a risk adjusted return experience that made sense? What did the cash flow experience have to be? What did the attributes of the kind of investment vehicle have to be? Um, and then we started to think about things like, what did the impact mean? What should the impact menu be? Like, what should this have to cover? And how could we make that personalized and still remain scalable? Um, and how could we make that engaging, right? So like, I, I think about this, um, I call it the fangification. So all the fang stocks and what they're doing, like <laughs> they are influencing every industry and wealth management is not immune. So experience, customer experiences and our client experience are expected to be more engaging, like think, you know, Netflix and Facebook and Apple, they're supposed to be more personalized. They have yes. to be cheaper, faster, better. And so we, with that in mind, we started to design what, what is our first vehicle, which we have successfully closed now. And we'll be back out next year with our, our second uh, vehicle. I am so excited. I'm going to be watching for the year, right? For, for, for the, the, the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, <laughs> so that I can find out next year because what you've done so far is incredible, right? Um, one of the things that I'm hearing as you're speaking, it, and maybe it comes from being a uh, part of a, an architect-led uh, family, having engineers sort of flow through and always being the creative on the outside, is that there's sort of an engineering that you're doing. There's a building from the foundation, so sometimes from the bottom up, and also in terms of vision from the top down, right? You're creating essentially the infrastructure that's necessary to uh, to think through this, right? And and that is so exciting because I think that's what visionaries is really about. It's about 
creating really a blueprint for our audience to understand how to be Tucson Daily or be the next the next person that will come in and do what is uniquely uh, their gifting, right, to provide for the world. Get out of my head. <laughs> Get out of my head. <laughs> like, that, 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 you, that is literally the job. Like both of those things and equally. And I think when either of those goes out of balance, that foundation building or that vision, like I, I feel out of alignment. And so like that, that vision, piece, and I can, I can take you through like, like all of that's necessary. So for me, like I've now become clear on what we have to do in order to like truly achieve the scale that, that I think we should achieve. And that's being this multi, multi, multi-billion dollar solution for bringing values aligned private capital into wealth management. And so one, like for the vision, that vision is three attributes. It's unquestionably institutional. So like what we do at every step of the way, increasingly and from day one has to be unquestionably institutional in terms of quality, which is hard to do as, as an earlier stage firm. It has to be profoundly personal. Um, and so I think that's there's no there's no way around that right now in, in wealth management. And that goes to a lot of the things I talked about, these outside influences. It's also private capital uh, kind of coming into our industry and, and requiring more of everyone. So profoundly personal. And then the third one is, uncompromisingly scalable. So, and those happen at three levels, right? So for us as, as an asset manager at the firm level uh, and for investment teams, we have to be unquestionably institutional. That's how we get through the door. For that end client, we have to be profoundly personal. They have to feel like this is theirs. But for the advisor, we have to be scalable and implementable yes. without compromising yes. either of those other two things, right? And so that's the vision. I, um, I, Please continue. I'm so <laughs> yeah. excited. And, and uh, so from the foundation, like uh, we we intentionally, so we we raised um, outside capital uh, so that we could build a first class firm from day one. So we didn't like it's it's very uncommon to raise like a, a, a venture round in asset management. First of all, because venture capital doesn't invest in asset management, right? Like and so like I don't and I also <laughs> I don't have to talk about how uncommon it is for a person. I know this is audio, but for a person who looks like me, <laughs> I, I am African American. For those of you who are listening and don't know, uh, to raise venture capital, I think the numbers are about one point four percent of all assets managed. Like that's well publicized. Um, and but. So it's uncommon, but the reason why we did it is we knew we had to build infrastructure that was like up to the task for any operational due diligence team, any investment due diligence team from day one. Yes. So that was really propelled by our first uh, our first kind of major firm partner. So we we grow in partnership with wealth management firms, you know, multifamily offices yes. and kind of high net worth wealth management firms. Our first was a huge firm that 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 took a bet on us um, and believed that we would be kind of accretive to their clients. So so formerly CI Private Wealth, now Corient. Um, I I remember sitting across from from uh, the the investment teams at that firm and also from from wealth managers at that firm who who were kind of the champions of us coming in. And the first thing they said was like, "Look, operational due diligence is a pass fail test." Um, and so if like as much as we love you, Tucson, and we like th we think this solution sounds great and it's, you know, schnazzy and all these things and it's like if you don't pass our operational due diligence tests, then we can't we literally can't do business with you. Um, and so my um, the light bulb that went off in my head was they, they have an independent uh, firm that they were going to come in and have do operational due diligence on us. I, I paused them because we work with a very large 
um, investment consultant to supplement what our investment team does and to, and, and right. to make sure that what we're investing in is, is sound. So I immediately called, like driving from that breakfast, called the investment consultant that works with us and does due diligence for us. I was like, can you turn your lens on us and do like a friendly due diligence process that turns our firm upside down, like produces a report of the good, the bad, and the ugly of what we're doing. Um, and then we work toward that. And so I called uh, CI and said, like, like, give us some time. And so we went through that process. We, we brought in same fund admin, but we brought new, new IT, cybersecurity, a new compliance firm. We upgraded what we were doing with our lawyers and how those documents look. We created new committees, new policies, all this stuff. We went back in and it was like, you know, a, a very short conversation around what we're doing. And we were able to turn kind of this operational conversation into a branding exercise. We now like part of our sales process is to go out to a firm and like kind of dump that report on their desks and go like, here's what our operations look like, <laughs> you know, and, and, oh. and feel very confident in that. And so that's that, that's that foundation. And then the yes. next thing we do is do that same thing with our investments team, right. And making sure that the professionals we have on that team and the process feels the same as the operations. And so it's building there all toward those, those kind of three attributes that I described. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, you know, I think one of my one of my favorite. I've been doing content building for quite a while, and one of my favorite uh, go tos is the masterclass, right? The masterclass mm -hmm. that that was very popular a few years ago, and you couldn't get away from. But I do think of this as sort of a masterclass in getting over hurdles, right? So we are learning today about part of why you've been able to be successful past certain obstacles. And so part of that has essentially been being your own regulatory and compliance system, checking and rechecking your own work enough times to where you can produce a report that essentially says, here we are, and here's why you can trust us. Yeah. Um, we, we talk about skills in debating and one of the best best ones that I remember um, from my very first debate class is that you answer the questions that others have of you before they're able to pose them, right? So I am in love with that. And and I I also heard as you were speaking, Toussaint, about the importance of scalability, the importance of structure from the perspective of this is what we need to get things done, not just based on what we like, right? Especially ESG conversations get sort of muddled in this space of, do we have the actual infrastructure, uh, building parameters, uh, skill level to get done this vision, right? Because I kind of think of ESG as a vision. People yeah. have intentions and they have heart and soul to go after this and all that's great. But if we can't implement it, then that's a problem. So I want to quickly point out and pivot a little bit to to more about impact and how you've been able to really make a solid business case every single time when you walk in the room and say, this is the way we should do this, that you're able to support that. Because what you touched on before, but some people may not know, is your past with, uh, with Enzo Wealth Management led to its growth, I believe nearly 2 billion, right? As you, right? And, and its eventual acquisition. So you have the foundation to say, I've done this before. I'm able to make something financially stable. Here's the growth I'm able to do. How do you convey that 
as you talk about impact investing and you are teaching that to advisors? How do you make all of this profitable? Yeah. So first of all, I'm a capitalist. <laughs> like I, I, I'm like, I'm clear. I'm forthright about that. There are many, many levers that we are going to have to pull to solve the biggest problems uh, facing us globally. Um, and some of those are philanthropic. Some of those are concessionary, but nothing scales solutions like capitalism, nothing, nothing scales solutions like capitalism. And that's, that's my lane. Um, right. And we talk to clients and we help clients connect with philanthropic stuff and all of that. And so I'm very clear, uh, first of all, that that's my lane. And I'm also very clear and encourage advisors to be very clear. Like I, I used to spend a lot of my time in this uh, defensive mode that this is not concessionary, like impact investments as we do them are not concessionary. This is thematic investing. Like we're, we're targeting global trends. Like it's not concessionary. Exactly. I no longer spend a lot of time saying it's not concessionary. I talk about alpha. I'm like, where we look for impact just happens to align with where we look for alpha, where we look to invest more inclusively is not because we think, you know, like it's only good for the world. We also think we are going to outperform. And so you think about things like underestimated founders or overlooked uh, investment managers who have been outperforming uh, for a long time and are underinvested because they're looked at as concessionary. Like that misperception is where we find alpha or, or you look at things like, the energy transition and, and folks thinking things like affordable housing are not good investments. There is no stable source of income in real estate like affordable housing. It's literally below market and subsidized by the government. And so the, those those rents show up uh, um, at times when other rents don't, right? And so like making this case that this is not just something that's not less than, this is something that's better than. And yes. these and all of these are global trends, right? If you think about what's happening with the environment and, and climate change, whether you believe, I think we're past the point where many people don't believe in climate change. People believe in Tesla. And so <laughs> we're talking about EVs or we're talking about the energy transition or we're talking about real estate. Uh, it, like that I, I can analogize to things that people have seen make a lot of money. Our first, our first, so we do, most of our investments are with portfolio managers. We do them through funds, um, more essentially this kind of configurable, we can align um, fund investments with people's impact interests. And like, I, I won't walk through the whole solution, but we do, we have a sliver of direct investments. Yeah. Um, we have, and those are co-investments where we invest alongside managers. Our first, um, I invested in, I syndicated an investment in before uplifting capital was even a thing. Um, and it's called a company called Spark Charge. We invested in their Series A, um, and and you know we're, we we continue to follow that company. But it's young African American founder started a mobile electric vehicle charging company, and so he says we're like the we're the Uber for electric vehicle charging. People have all this range anxiety. People have all these new Teslas, all these new EVs. We don't have enough charging stations to catch that. And so like while that infrastructure is being built. We have a long way to go. Um, and so we, and the energy transition isn't something that happens overnight and, and everyone's going to run out and have the infrastructure or the right, right. tools. To do it. And so who's going to invest in that literal transition? And so for us, that's not a that's not a charity case. That's not a that's not a social belief. That's an investment trend. And that, that's something that's happening in real time. So we invested in it. And, you know, so far, it's, it's done well for us. Um, and, and there are all sorts of examples like that in this area where there's this perception of uh, a philanthropy. I still have, I, you know, I have family members who are like, did you get any new donors? And I'm like, I don't do, I do not do philanthropy. <laughs> like these are, these are absolutely market rate investments. I talk a lot, 
about the social good that this does for the world, but I am not uh, a 501c3. I'm not a charity. Like I, I will help them invest their money if they have their foundation, but I'll do that. Yeah, Exactly. Tucson is a capitalist. Okay. Yeah, that's but, it. <laughs> and, and I, and I love this. I want to say that it's, it's important and near and dear to me that we have real growth potential when we make any decisions around money. That's just, that's to me, that should be assumed, but I love that you're making this work. And so I would be again, remiss not to mention that we have the honor and privilege of having Toussaint Bailey on deck on stage in, in 2024 to talk about the work that he's been doing and where we can go as an industry together and really do this from the, the lens of, of strategy. What should allocation be looking forward, which is what the Inside ETS stage is all about. So I wanted to let you know that if you've enjoyed this conversation, you have an opportunity May 13th through the 16th to see Toussaint Bailey live from Wealth Management Edge with some special guests. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to keep those under under wraps for now, but okay. we will be announcing and I'm extremely excited Tucson. Yeah, and, and the the special guests will be one of them <laughs> I know will be better than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Uh, so I'm beyond excited to do that. You know, I'm honored and, and I can't wait to share what we're doing with uh, a broader section of your audience. And yeah, yes. hopefully make some difference, make some money, <laughs> make some money and make some difference, right? Let's, let's, let's make that the sound bite from this, from this conversation. Uh, we are excited about working with you. We're also excited about changing the world together. I wanted to ask you before we kind of close up, in terms of you being a visionary, thinking forward and, and thinking about maybe something that's that's under, maybe that as, isn't being paid attention to right now, that you think is the future, that you think is next. What is on the next frontier that everyone should be watching out for that they'll look back and say, Tucson said it first? Yeah, so it, it is that we're seeing those consumer expectations, like the, the, the consumer is changing, right? The expectation for engagement, the expectation for personalization, the expectation for better, like driven by all the names, right? Apple, Google, Netflix, all of those folks. It has come to wealth management. And I think up to this point, we've talked about that in terms of ancillary services. I'm gonna need to add you know, estate planning. I'm gonna need to add a tax component to what I do. I'm gonna need to add all these things and bring all these things in house. That's coming for the core portfolio. Um, like that, those expectations are coming. And so as we see this shift to more experiential investing and private market investing is really just more experiential investing. I think we'll see that mature right now. I think of a lot of folks doing private markets investing a lot, like we did stock picking before yes. the mutual fund and ETF started to make that more sophisticated in a tidy wrapper. Right. I think we'll see experiential investing continue to get better. I hope our firm continues to be the future of that. Things like values alignment, things like you know portfolio uh, tailoring, um, and all of that done really easily, quickly, conveniently to the advisor and firm is, is the future. Absolutely, uh, Tucson has his own podcast series called Uplifting Conversations. Please go and check that out. 
Um, we're so honored again to have you um, as part of the wealthmanagement.com family. And with that, uh, I will leave you all to digest this incredible conversation that Tucson has led. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us today. iShares and S&P Dow Jones Indices are proud to support the Wealth Management Edge podcast and financial advisors. With more than 1,250 products worldwide, iShares is dedicated to empowering millions of people to make their money work for them. Visit www.ishares.com to learn more. S&P Dow Jones Indices is the largest global resource for essential index-based concepts, data and research, and home to iconic financial market indicators, such as the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. iShares and S&P Dow Jones Indices are unaffiliated entities.